0: James Hahn the second. And I'm Mark LeCour. And you're listening to the oil and gas this week podcast brought to you by bulwark. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. episode seventy five, Mark, I was trying to think, I know what its silver anniversary is twenty five. I don't know what I owe you for this one.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I have no idea what seventy five is. And actually, I guess technically you could be married for 75 years, but you have to get married at like 12.
0: Yeah, it'd be pretty hard. <laughs> be pretty at least hard. in this country.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Good point. Touché. So what's going on with you this week, man? Um, we were just talking about some things that I've, that I've been dealing with throughout the week, which are, which are annoying but good. What do you got going on?
1: It's, just a, it's been a busy year for us, and it's interesting. We talked about this in the last show about how slow it's been during the summer, and it's um, it's a for me it's a strange combination of being very busy with client work and then not being able to get a hold of the people I need to in the oil and gas industry to figure the work because they're all out on vacation. Um, and speaking of that, I'm getting ready to leave on my vacation myself. So um, I guess it's uh, I guess it's the pot calling the kettle black.
0: Yeah. So where are you headed for vacation?
1: West Coast. We're gonna do uh, uh, Coronado Island, which is right outside of San Diego, mm-hmm. and then some time in San Francisco. And and I guarantee you, while I'm there, I'm gonna hear people talking about how hot it is over there. <laughs>
0: Oh man, not in San Diego, but Coronado Island is beautiful. beautiful. It's beautiful. I've
1: been there before, but you know, even this time of year, you get up in the morning, it's 60, 62 degrees. And by the middle of the day, you know, it might be 78 or 80, but it's just, it's just beautiful. Low humidity. Um, you know, walk around shorts everywhere, walk to the restaurants. It's, it's going to be different than being here in H uh, town.
0: Well, hopefully you can pick up some Pokemon out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> speaking of speaking of Pokemon,
1: I had talked to somebody this week, totally unrelated. Who works for um, one of the big subsea manufacturers, and they literally had a discipline an employee that was in the shop. Now, when I say shop, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of square feet of massive overhead cranes moving multi-ton pieces of equipment, trees, blowout preventers, plits, manifolds, and this. And you know, if if you've ever been in that situation um, in the in the on the shop floor, there's yellow lines, and you can't cross outside the yellow lines, right? You stay in the yellow lines if you're torn them. Um, anyway, one of the 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 guys working in the shop—they caught him on camera wandering across the yellow lines because he was doing what? Playing Pokemon, Pokemon Go? Are you kidding in the, me? In on a the subsea? shop floor?
0: No. No. Yeah. That is like,
1: unacceptable. Well, you know, think about it from an HSE point of view. Now you have to rewrite your handbook saying that if you get caught playing Pokemon Go, it's this type of violation. Um, so you know, you know, give it credit for Pokemon Go to become this big a deal, but who would have ever thought it would have ended up on the manufacturing floor of a subsea uh, company?
0: That's just unacceptable, bro. And then, <laughs> Come yeah. on, get get your head out, man.
1: And then what I want to know is, did he find a Pokemon?
0: In, yeah, in did floor? he find I, any Pokemon out there? I don't know. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, well, at least he didn't drive off a cliff, but he could have done much worse for his impl- other employees he was working with. So
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, somebody could have, got it could have been bad because uh, he wasn't paying attention. So hopefully, you know, if you're listening to us out there and you work on a manufacturing facility, will you wait at least until you're please. outside? please. please. And so you know another thing i want to talk about and you've heard us mention this but um you know you and i spent a decent amount on the road in fact we're going to be talking about you being on the road toward the end of the show and if you're a a, a company if you have a conference if you're a school if you're a trade association and you'd like uh, james and i to come speak or do a podcast there reach out to us uh, we like getting on the road we like talking to our listeners and and um, you know helping our industry so you know reach out to us and we'll give you the details and then finally um, we've talked about this before. You know, I'm on the board of directors of the API Houston chapter, and we have an API uh, Young Professionals group. My API Young Professionals group is looking for educational activities. So if you're a company and you would be open to let them tour, um, if you're um, an engineering company and you'd like to let them see behind the scenes, um, if you're t- some type of service provider and you'd like to see them how you do service, reach out to us. Actually, reach out to James Gordy. We'll have his link, both his email and his LinkedIn profile in the show notes. He's the one who headed that up the benefit for you is you now get exposed to all these young professionals and get to show what your company can do. So, um, you know, this is us doing a favor for the API young professionals. because it's a great group of guys and girls and they're just looking to learn more.
0: Yeah. And that's how we, that's how we got the rig tour together. Yeah. And, and,
1: and this is good for everybody. So we're helping educate our young professionals. Uh, if you have young professionals, um, you know, you might want to connect them with James so they can be part of something bigger and better. And then quite frankly, um, Um, if, if, you know, if you're, when the, when the price of crude rebounds and you have to start hiring, you now have a connection into a whole group of young people that may benefit your company.
0: Yeah, that's a really great point. Your network is your net worth. I can't say it enough. And sometimes that comes in unexpected forms. And in this case, it's going to be young professionals in the field, not the, not the old hat decision makers, I guess you could say.
1: Yeah. and it's a, it's I mean, I love this group and you know I play a part in here, but they are so open-minded and they're so looking to learn and they they're so willing to work so hard um, and we're just trying to give them more opportunities to learn more about this entire industry because what happens is you know there's a, a quite a few engineers in this young professionals group and they may be an engineer for Chevron, but they don't know what downstream is. They don't know what midstream is. They don't know how trees are manufactured, right They don't know what process controls are, but they want to learn. and I think that's a different attitude than say my generation, um, and, and I think it's a wonderful thing. So if you're out there and you have a company and you can provide a tour education of some sort, do me a favor, take a second, reach out to James Gordy. We'll have the links in the show notes and coordinate that with him and you'll be given back.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I'm, I just made a note right here. Make sure to get James Gordy's contact information in the show notes. All right, let's get into the stories for this week because we've got a lot of stuff to get into. As you said, we're going to talk about uh, a road trip of mine coming up here pretty soon. But let's start off in Libya. Where only a few weeks ago you were saying, hey, don't worry about Libya. It's kind of a mess over there. And this story is <laughs> pretty, pretty, uh, it's a fulfillment of your prophecy. So Libya's oil deal turns sour as army chief threatens to bomb tankers. I'm sorry to laugh, but goodness.
1: You know, if you're trying to rebuild your country, the last thing you want is the head of your army warning foreign companies. That his army will fire on you if you're a non-libyan tanker and you enter their waters. This is just ridiculous. And you're right, James. This is what I talked about before. And Libya has a lot of reserves, but they have a huge inability to get them to market. So what happened is the um, Libyan National Oil Company uh, struck a deal, coordinate with the UN government uh, to reopen some um, um, ports. And so the um, the um, the chairman of the the um, of the uh, Libyan National Oil Company, Mustafa. Tanela sent a letter to the UN and, and to all the oil and gas um, diplomatic officials. and he says that the only division that can actually broker deals um, is is the division in Benghazi, which it kind of hurts the rest of the country uh, because the PFG has been blocking ports across Libya everywhere. And so then you have a bunch of political groups protesting over this, protesting over where the money's going to the point where the chief of the Libyan army has warned <laughs> that if any tankers come in that are non-Libyan, they're going to fire upon them. And, you know, if, if you're if you're a company that owns tankers or if you're buying this Libyan oil and then you're and um, deals with tankers to, to go pick up that Libyan oil and bring it to you, and somebody says something like this, you are go to heck with it. I'll go buy oil somewhere else. It's not worth the loss of my money, the loss of my people, the loss of my assets, or even the threat of that. So, you know, we talked about this before. Libya has a lot of work to do to get their, their different political... Um, factions align so they can actually start benefiting their people and benefiting their economy by exporting oil like i said the oil's there uh they just
0: struggling to get it out for a bunch of reasons for a bunch of reasons including bombing tankers that's just mind boggling but um we like i said we got a lot of things to get into let's talk about iran because we've talked about this a lot on the show and now we've it's crazy enough can you believe it's been a year already so, yeah
1: it doesn't seem like it's been a year, does
0: it? yeah it's, it's really bizarre, but so our year after Iran deal, oil flows, but the money's stuck. what's going on here? Yeah, so
1: um, um, we came to the negotiation table, we came to an agreement um, if you fast forwarded now and, um, and uh, about six months after the uh, sanctions were lifted, Iran's producing about three point eight million barrels, and there are two of those, two million of those barrels are being exported so that's that's good for, for Iran and the Iranian people, right? The problem is the money for this oil. The money's getting stuck. Instead of it working down to the populations, getting stuck in, in the politics over there. And they need, really, basically, more monetary discipline uh, to, to make sure that this money gets to where it's supposed to go. Now, the president, I think this is his last year, has actually done a pretty decent job, considering he was given a war torn country that nobody liked. And so um, he's, he's done a good job of, of actually uh, helping the economy, um, stopping inflation. So inflation is down to single-digit inflation, which is great. Before, it's double-digit inflation. Um, but the problem is, and you see this in a lot in the Middle East, is, is youth unemployment. So the young people in the Middle East are the ones that want to radicalize. And if you can't keep them working, they want to radicalize and overthrow the government. This is something that Saudi Arabia and uh, Egypt figured out years ago. That's why they have these big social programs. So um, this money from this oil needs to go back into the economy to provide jobs to young people, and it's not happening. Um, it's, and it's just, you know, you're looking to, to try to attract more foreign investors and they had a lot of traffic, they had a lot of attention from foreign investors, but a lot of them aren't willing to pull the trigger because they're worried that it's, it's a too high a risk. So, you know, they're, they're getting there. They have a very, very long way to go. And it's, and it's going to be interesting what happens. This is the last year of, of, of the president's reign and he's done a decent job. Let's hope we can get somebody in there that can actually do as good a job or maybe a little bit better.
0: So where's it getting stuck then?
1: It's what's happening is they're signing these long-term agreements uh, with, with, the, um, with the government. The money comes into the government who then should take that money and then uh, distribute it to their um, – you know the different um, subsidies to, to build factories, to build schools and all that, and it's not happening. It's being stuck in the government. And the reason it's being stuck in the government is the government itself, who has come a very long way. Um, Iran – and most of the Middle East is like this. Iran, so we think in the U.S. of cities and towns, same way in Europe. But Iran, it's tribes, right? And so each tribe controls that geographic area. And a lot of the tribes don't want to go along with what the Iranian government's with. So the Iranian government doesn't want to give them the money because they don't want to take a chance to go use it to buy, you know, black market arms or, or, you know, push radical regimes. So the government's there. They just don't want to give it to the tribes because the government can't um, trust their own tribes yet.
0: Well, let's not, let's not silly the name of tribes. <laughs> no, no, no. But it's, it's, no, it's, I get it's it. a.
1: It's a cultural difference that a lot of people from the U.S. and Europe just don't understand.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, gosh, we can only hope that capitalism takes over eventually. eventually. They're, they're, they're getting there. They've come a
1: long way since where they were you know, two years ago, but they have a long way to go.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right. Moving over to Kazakhstan because I, I still want to go visit there, so I just throw this one in. But Kazakhstan and petrochemical expansions on tap as Chevron reports Q2 results. So what's, what's Chevron up to in Kazakhstan?
1: Chevron has a joint venture. Um, and it's um, two, a couple of big projects that are growing. I think they're going to grow about $260 uh, barrels or equivalent in production capacity. Chevron has a bunch of joint ventures. This article is really about Chevron's earnings and what they're doing stock-wise. And they're, they're actually doing really well. They're, but they're doing really well. Chevron historically is majority an upstream company and they figured out, and they, they've they had a refinery. I've, in fact, I've spent a lot of time in their uh, Pasigoula, Mississippi refinery and then their um, refinery in, in California, but um, they've actually realized they need to have more exposure in downstream. And so the way they've done that is they formed joint ventures um, in, in Um They've increased the money they're uh, pumping into Chevron Phillips, which is joint ventures uh, that happened years ago between uh, Chevron and Phillips. Um, and, and they're doing, um, you know, a lot of work with, um, uh, a couple of projects in, uh, you know, you hear about all the time, the downstream projects that we're doing in, in Australia, but they're also doing some stuff here in, uh, Texas and they're building some polyethylene units. So, um, they're pumping a lot of their money into downstream, which is good. Um, their qu- quarterly earnings are good. Um, they still, um, they still are, um, you know, expected to uh, grow uh, year over year um, they end up adding about five point six billion dollars of capex um, in in uh, next quarter, And they've recently announced a couple of big projects they're pumping money back into. So Chevron, that tells me Chevron sees that we've hit the bottom and we're moving up. And they also see the potential in downstream spe- specifically around LNG and petrochemicals. So, you know, you know, um complete uh, transparency. I've been a, a stockholder, of Chevron, for a long time. Um, I'm looking forward to this uptick.
0: Yeah, this is really interesting right here. In Old Ocean, Texas, two polyethylene units are being built to yield 1 million metric tons per year of plastic. That's, uh, that's a lot. It's a lot of, it's <laughs> it's a a lot lot of plastic. plastic. It's a lot of plastic. So, And there's a, there's a nice little graphic here. So, yeah, check out the show notes for the link. Um, this is over in Seeking Alpha.
1: Wow. Yeah, and then one quick note. Chevron's still paying dividends. So even this downturn, they're still paying dividends on their stockholders. Not a lot of companies are able to do that or chose to do that.
0: Yeah, and that's good on you for, obviously, there's a good reason to be a Chevron stockholder. And whenever you're looking at a, at a company to invest in, uh, what's the dividend is a pretty decent question. Yeah, it's it's not a lot, but it's considered that a lot of companies have cut their
1: dividends in this low crude price market, the fact that they can still pay dividends, or they I should say they chose to pay dividends means that they're um, have a lot of conf- their shareholders have a lot of confidence in in, in being uh, profitable in the future.
0: Well, they definitely know what they're doing. All right, we have to follow up on a story and I texted you this pretty early this morning because I was pretty excited to see it come across the uh, the radar and it's an update on our pipeline downstream, all this uh, this whole oh man it's 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 quite a mess, and it could it could be it set a new precedent for the industry, so here in Reuters, as u s shale sinks pipeline uh, pipeline fight sends woes downstream, and so you know we, like I said, we talked about this before, but bring us up to speed on where things are today.
1: yeah, so we still don't have a decision yet, but this is um, what's happening is the financial um, in, institutions and then the news companies that f- report on financials and in, institutions like Reuters are realizing this is a huge deal, right? That, that hasn't happened yet, and we don't know where it's going, but it can fundamentally change the midstream industry in the U.S. So if, if you don't remember from past shows, we have um, um, Sabine Oil and & Gas and Quick Civil Resources, um, both are trying to get out of long-term contracts they signed with some, some midstream companies. And, and the midstream companies are the pipeline operators. Typically, the way they work is they find a constraint uh, somewhere, somewhere where they need pipeline transport. And they go out and they sign these long-term contractors with um, um, upstream companies saying, hey, you know, we guarantee you that we'll pay you X amount over this amount of years and we'll guarantee you to move this amount. And when they have these long-term contracts, they now can get these pipelines financed. They can now get the money to actually build the pipeline because building a pipeline is very capital intensive. They build a pipeline, the contracts are honored, and then the pipeline company basically breaks even. And then after that, they start making money. And it's been a very successful, it's almost a financial partnership between the operators and the pipeline companies for as long as I've I've been in oil and gas. And what's happening now is you have two companies wanting to challenge that, um, which by the way, let me back up, the way the contracts are written that even if the upstream company goes bankrupt, that the pipeline company still gets paid regardless. And these two companies are challenging that. And if they win, it's gonna set a precedence which is gonna throw the financial part of building pipelines into chaos. And the, the pipeline companies have to come up with a different way to finance their projects. And that's going to probably be a higher cost, which is going to be passed on to the operators, which eventually will then be passed on to you and me and everybody else that's listening. So um, I, I get that the upstream companies want some help with their bankruptcy. They want to keep their company running. They want to get keep their employees working. I also get the fact that the pipeline companies want to do the same. They want to keep their company running. And they want to keep their employees working. So it's in the courts right now. Let's hope the courts really think this through and and help make the right decision. Like I said, I see both sides of it, but the the implications of this being ruled in favor of the upstream companies is just be catastrophic for for the pipeline companies.
0: Yeah. So it, it says here that we're going to have an answer within a within a few weeks, and this this article more so than other ones that I've found on this particular story really lays out um, kind of the back and forth among the lawyers, and it's it's been quite. I don't know. It's been quite a tale. Say yeah, we,
1: we we will follow this because this is a major development in our industry.
0: Yeah, a major, major development. So um, another great story on that front, and it will be linked in the show notes. All right. Um, we talk a lot about, um, I guess, gluts and, and whether or not it, oversupply is going down and everything. And now oil prices are kind of all over the place um, from where we thought they would be. But you're sticking to your thing and i guess i don't want to put too many (laughs) words in your mouth but here's the story about gas specifically so gas glut gives refiners heartburn
1: yeah and and this is gasoline um and and there is a gas glut in the market and there's a diesel glut in the market and we will continue to have the diesel gluts could be huge the gasoline is not going to be uh that big a deal what's happening is so uh we'll start with europe so in europe um The refineries have not been allowed to retrofit and they refine gasoline but their fleet the um, only the commercial vehicles and the personal vehicles have switched to diesel so there's less of a demand for gasoline in europe and their refineries have not been allowed to retrofit to produce diesel so they have a surplus of gasoline here in the u.s surprisingly enough um, the average miles per gallon for all of our vehicles have gone up our cars get better gas mileage and we're driving less so that means there's a less demand for gasoline and we have our refineries projecting what we need and they missed it. So there's going to be a glut on the market there. So the price of gasoline um, is going to continue to remain low because of that. Um, and, and this is just the normal swing cycle. The only thing I sort of don't like about this article is they talk about it gives refiners heartburn. It only gives gasoline refineries heartburn, <laughs> not not all refiners. And they're used to this, right? So there's, um, there's um, financial models put in, in place. Um, where they um, you know, have these long-term hedges. So it's it's, it's not going to hurt anybody. Um, some of the refiners that are really shrewd about this is they're actually going to benefit from the glut on the market um, because they can sell their gasoline a little bit cheaper than everybody else's. Um, and interestingly enough, James, it's it's funny we talked about this. Um, there's a large nationalized oil company, and they're, they touch us. Uh, their country touches us. And they're looking to open retail gas stations here. And there's always, there's already, well, you know what? It's public, so I can talk about it. So there's already one here in Houston. It's retail a Pomex gas station, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so their model is we think that we can produce gasoline cheaper, one or two cents a gallon cheaper than anybody else. We're close enough that we can still somewhat control the refinery. Plus, they bought a refinery here in Texas. And so they're gonna try to capture some of our retail market. And it's going to be interesting to see if they pull it off. And, and the only thing that makes me think they might pull it off is people from Latin America, and especially Mexico, are very loyal to brands. So all of the people that live here in Texas that either are first-generation from Mexico, the major brand, or really the only brand they know to buy retail gasoline is Pomex. So it's like, you know, that may actually work because of that brand alliance. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah, we're going to have a gut on gasoline. If, you're, um, if you've been looking to buy that F-350 four-wheel drive 5.7 liter V8 and you've been worried about that nine miles a gallon that it gets that you're fine for the next, <laughs> next couple of years.
0: That's crazy though. I didn't know that Pemex opened a, opened a station um, here in Houston, but I'm yeah. actually looking at, so yeah, Park Place Boulevard. Uh, yeah, it, it's I guarantee miles you, from here.
1: Yeah, I guarantee it's a market test station. They're going to see if their business model works in a one station model. And if it does, uh, then they're just go, um, you know, build as many as they want. And I actually think it's really cool. You know, a lot of people go, well, you know, Mexico shouldn't be selling gasoline here. No, they should if they can do it better. We can. That's free market. Let them do it.
0: Yeah, let them do it. Let them do it. That's very interesting, though. Yeah. So just outside of the loop, in the southeast side of town. So we'll we'll have to see how that. On um, one question I wanted to ask you real quick because I'm sure that you know the answer. Um, while the spread can favor mid-continent refineries, why can the spread um, in uh, and it talks about crack spread and all these different things, but why why can what's happening in the market right now favor mid-continent and refineries over any other? Because um, think about it. So if you go to Iowa,
1: you'll be lucky to find a refinery, right? Mm-hmm. You go to Texas or Louisiana, you can't get away from them. There's hundreds of them. And so there's much more competition here in the Gulf Coast than there is in, in the middle of the U.S. So the, the spread benefits them better because they have less competition.
0: Got it. Okay, perfect. All right, moving on. Let's talk about Anadarko has CEOs say $60 a barrel of crude oil price is enough to kickstart activity. What do you think?
1: Uh, yeah, it's almost like they read my mind. You know, it's, <laughs> it's,
0: it's, and, and,
1: you know, $60 a barrel is going to be the new new 80. And, and we all know that. We've driven enough efficiencies where $60 a barrel, even offshore, even in some of the deep water projects is still profitable. Um, and, you know. Anadarko and Hess. If you want to think about two companies that you could really trust that their CEOs know what they're talking about, this is probably you know in the in the top. Um, and, and it's and it's a it's a great article talking about uh, growth and demand, talking about the um, the uh, shrinkage in uh, global supply. Um, and so you know th- this is actually a good point. So, so I love this article. You got to read this. But this is also a good point to talk about my projections. So I've been saying fifty five to sixty dollars a barrel by August. August is only what about thirty. The end of August is like 35 days away. And right now we're at, uh, I think, 41 or $42 a barrel, which means I got a long ways to go. Yes. <laughs> in, you do. In, in five weeks. Crazy enough, I'm going to stick to it. Why? Um, because this oversupply is shrinking so fast. And as soon as that oversupply gets in the single digits, you can see the price going back up. Um, do I give myself a 75% chance of being right?
0: No is it in the realm
1: of possibilities? I think so. So I'm sticking to it.
0: All right, <laughs> stick to it and at least you're in good company. Well, and it seems that 60 is at least um, where we're headed if not by the end of August, by the end of the fall. Yeah. So all right, good stuff. All right, let's move over to ConocoPhillips because we talk a lot about how, you know, Shell is becoming a gas company, all these different companies and so this headline really caught my eye, ConocoPhillips touts gas capture programs.
1: Yeah, this is around being uh, compliant, EPA compliant in the uh, fugitive emissions stuff that the EPA is pushing out there. And this is actually a really good article because you brought something up I didn't know. So one of the things that uh, all companies do globally, but it happens a lot in the frack fields in the U.S. So when you think of reservoir, it's a mix of oil and gas, right? Right. And that gas is under pressure, right? Right. Well, you can use pressurized gas like you'd use compressed air. Oh, yeah. To open it. To open and close valves. I don't mean to burn it. I mean to use it to open and close valves like you would do um, an air activator. So I didn't realize this, but um, a lot of the, uh, the the methane emission and basically when you hear, hear methane emissions in the oil and gas fields, it's it's natural gas, natural gas and majority of methane. So what these companies have been doing since the 60s is that they use the pressurized natural gas to open and control valves instead of having an air compressor and having to run an air compressor. And I, I didn't even know they did that. So as they, as they use this natural gas to open and close valves or, or run other equipment, um, you know, it runs um, connectors and valves and pressure release valves and all kinds of other stuff, when it's finished doing its job, it's vented to the atmosphere, just like compressed air, right? Think about an air tool. When you run that wrench, that compressed air is going in, it's doing the work, it's turning the wrench, and then it's vented to the atmosphere. Well, that's what's happening in, in the frack fields especially. And so one of the ways they're reducing methane emissions is just getting away from that getting away from using the natural gas the pressurized natural gas to move pistons and to you know open and close valves and stuff. And I didn't even know that sort of stuff was going on. So what ConocoPhillips is doing is they're retrofitting all these sites with um either solar powered uh, actuators or or low bleed pneumatic devices that use uh, compressed air instead so of natural gas. Um so you know here's something where You didn't, or at least I didn't know what was going on. And it makes perfect sense that if you want to quit vent natural gas there, you just replace the valves that are using natural gas to work with something else, Um, which is, you know, this is not a high tech fix. It's an easy fix, but it's, I think it's really cool that Conoco's looking at that going, let's just get rid of all that crap.
0: Yeah. I remember it's, it was uh, a few years ago at this point. And I have, I have a friend um, up in Michigan who's pretty big in the solar world and everything. And so I was up in Fort Worth living up there and I would drive past all of these different well sites. And I would see all of these solar installs at the well site. And so I finally uh, took a picture, sent it off to Jermaine, and, and his, his mind was just spinning. He couldn't really handle it all <laughs> that, that the oil industry was using solar
1: on its rigs, right? Hey, speaking of that, I learned something over the weekend that you and I haven't talked about at all. But you know how I often talk about how, or we've often talked about uh, um, Texas is the largest wind-producing energy state in the country? Yep. Guess what happened last Thursday?
0: I tell me about it.
1: We became the largest solar producing state in the country.
0: Really? <laughs> yeah. is <isn't> that cool? <laughs> so now we've taken over oil, <laughs> gas and all renewables. Wow. Yeah. Before our superior. State. Yeah. Bring,
1: bring it on California and uh, Ohio and everybody else. Come on.
0: Come on. Come on. All right. That's great stuff. Let's move over to um, the West side. The best side, Port Cameron organizers plan $1.5 billion deep water facility. What's going on here? Yeah, so this is, uh, this is Port Fouchon, and I'm from Louisiana, and I've done a, caught a
1: lot of redfish in Port Fouchon. Um, so this is a very interesting article. Port Fouchon is a state-run deepwater port. And, you know, uh, here in Texas, we have a couple of deepwater ports, uh, uh, Padre Island, Galveston, and the Port of Houston. Um, and this is a company that's laying, you know what? We can do better than the, the state-run deepwater port. We can do better than Texas. So they're raising private money to build a new deepwater port. And there's a huge need for deep water ports in the Gulf of Mexico for exports. So all these ethylene crackers, all these refineries that build it all, that produce all these petrochemicals and plastics that the rest of the world needs, you have to have a way to get it to them. And a deep water port makes the most sense. And then the flip side is, you've seen on TV those big um, um, offshore um, vessels with all the sea cans on it that that import all kinds of stuff, right? Huge vessels. Well, you have to have a deep water port to be able to bring that in, Um, and there's, there's there's a constraint on that because there's only X amount of in the Gulf of Mexico, and here's a company looking at that constraint and saying, "You know what? We can get private money and do better than everybody." So it's gonna be interesting to see because they've specifically set their targets um, on on Texas, you know, on the Port of Houston and uh, um, and um, the the port in um, Galveston. Um, and so, you know, I, I think this is a good thing. If they get the money to build this, there'll just be more competition in that deep water port arena. However, if they get the money to do this, I think the state run port of Fouchon is probably um, d-
0: doomed. Yeah, that, they're not going to really like that very much. I don't think. They're not
1: going to be able to compete.
0: Yeah. And it says that it's going to turn out $2.8 billion in sales to firms in Louisiana and almost 10,000 jobs a year and 38 million in state taxes.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's you know, that's prospo- uh, prosperity for everybody.
0: Yeah, it's prosperity for everybody and something that a state agency can't really compete against. So, no,
1: it, it can't really pull off.
0: No, they definitely can't. But it's really interesting. It sounds like they've got um, you know, quite a few large investors, and they say that Citigroup Global Markets will underwrite the bonds. And they've already been issued a $36 million bond. Um, so it seems well, that even though the state will take a hit, it, they're, they want it.
1: The other big thing is they have um, their director of operation is uh, Tal Fag- uh, Ted Falgo who was Port Fouchon's director for 31 years. So to be able to grab that type of talent, like not only has he done it, he's done it well for over 30 years. You know, there's probably a handful, handful of people on the planet that could do that, and they, they've grabbed him. So I, I, you know, I think that's a big feather in their cap.
0: Definitely. All right. What, uh, what about the digital oil field? We talk about it enough, but uh, it says, I don't know, it's, it's interesting from Energy, Tech, uh, Energy Global Oilfield Technology. So upstream in peril, has the digital oil field finally arrived? And it's an interview. Yeah, it's, um. I really don't like this article. So,
1: you know, we love the digital oilfield. We talk about it all the time. We talk about the changes that's going on in the industry. This is a UK-centric article, and and they they talk about stuff that's really kind of not true, um, like the rise in solar is going to kill the upstream sector, and the upstream sector's going to have ripples through the rest of the industry, and that if they don't, it, um, the only thing they can do to uh, help save them is adapt the digital oilfield, field, but they don't want to do it. That's not true, uh, you know. You and I were in a, a a breakfast. What was it last week? Yeah, where, where we had some major players talking about how they've adapted cloud technology and you know big data analytics. Um, it, it, the, I think the the author of this article probably doesn't understand the risk aversion of this industry, and, and they looking at it as being old fashioned, and it's not. Um, I'm seeing I'm seeing a huge growth in the digital oil field uh, right now with a lot of stuff I can't talk about, but literally all my clients this year touched this in some way, right? They know there's a market here. So, um, decently written article. Um, I just don't agree with some of the stuff. One of the things they talk about is they think chemical engineers are, are the best equipped to, um, to, um, uh, benefit from digital oil field. And it's like, no, uh, they, they have a play in there. But really, you think that's who's the best? I'm telling you who's the, the best is the upstream operators, and especially around things like completions and um, w- when you go into production, being able to look at your production in real time. So I think this is an article that's okay, but it, I think it's written by somebody that's not actually from the industry.
0: Well, going from something that's okay or maybe even bad to very good, Schlumberger in a league of its own. What's going on with Schlumberger?
1: They're rocking and rolling. Uh, you know, they've strong cash flow. They've uh, uh, picked up Cameron, um, which is a great strategic move on their part. Um, you know, a lot of their business is hurting in the U.S., but you know, around the rest of the world, they're doing okay. Um, their major competitors, Halliburton, who unfortunately most of their business is here in the U.S., so their major competitors hurting, which is not a bad place to be if you're Schlumberger. Um, they're they're doing good and they're ready to come out of this downturn. I mean, just blowing and going. So, um, you know, once again, you know, total transparency, I'm an investor in Schlumberger, and actually they're right down, the, their North American headquarters is like right down the it's street from me. Street, yeah. um, but, you know, great company doing some really cool stuff. Um, I, I think probably in another five years, five to eight years, um, they're going to pull so far of Halliburton that I think the DOJ will allow Halliburton to buy somebody else <laughs> to, just because Schlumberger is going to be so much bigger. Um, but you know doing really good stuff and their stocks doing
0: doing reasonably
1: well considering where we are for uh, price accrued
0: i was going to ask that real quick w- what do you think is is the largest or are the largest contributors to their even having really strong cash flow even though the market's down because they have they're um,
1: diversified they're they're in they're all over the world they don't have the majority of their business in one country um and that always helps you just like you know we talked about you know, the difference, you know, if you have your business that can touch upstream, midstream and downstream, no matter what's happened in one segment of the market, the other ones are doing okay or, or maybe even doing well. Same way as slumberjay if you're different countries doing different businesses, if one part of the, the world and one part of the oil business hurts, you have other parts that make money for you.
0: Yeah. So they're, they're all over the world. It says right here, North America, Latin America, Europe, CIS and Africa, Middle East and Asia. So. Yeah, they're spread they're they're spread very wide and able to absorb any sort yeah, of and let me be let me be clear. So Weatherford, um, Baker, Halliburton are also
1: all over the world, but Halliburton's the case, especially most of their revenues here in the US, which usually helps them because we're usually spending more money than any other country in the world on oil and gas. But in the last, you know, two years it's hurt them. Whereas Schlumberger, when things were blowing and going, wasn't making as much money as Halliburton. But when things decline, they're okay where Halliburton's really hurting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Interesting stuff. All right, those wrap up our, our normal news stories for the week. And then we have the Onion of the Week Facebook status update field, dreading what area man about to type into it. So that is in the show notes. And we also have a winner for Bulwark. I am fired up, Mark. <laughs> I am fired up. Yeah, we, we,
1: it seems like this name is somewhat familiar.
0: I, I, I was about to say, so often Im, imitated, never duplicated in his, in his of. And his ability to submit and also his his desire to win. And so John Patashnik at our, our friend up in Michigan at Atwell Business Development, he won this week's FR two-tone bass layer from Bulwark. And I am fired up for him because on a previous he was actually the reason we had to clarify that you can only submit once a week. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think he was up. I think one of the records was like 28 (laughs) times. Not to call you out, John, but I'm just happy that you won this one. Yeah, you know, that's an overachiever. I love overachievers. And the funny thing
1: about John is we have yet to meet in person. He comes to Houston every so often. And him and I have tried to coordinate everything from breakfast to lunch to drinks to dinner. And something comes up either for him or me. So it's like we never quite see each other, even though we're in the same town. Um, so eventually we'll end up connecting. But, you know, John, congratulations. Uh, you're going to love this. Uh, Bulwark's a great company. Um, you know, they're the number one uh, brand of flame-resistant clothing uh, in the oil and gas industry and actually in the world. And the cool thing is, John, this is going to really fit you well. Um, they've been doing this for over 45 years, and they have, um, they're the leading uh, FR apparel um, manufacturer in the world, which means they have more sizes, more colors, more fits, more styles than anybody. So uh, you know, congratulations, and if you're listening to this and you would like uh, a uh, bulwark long sleeve uh, two-tone base layer, even if you're in the office, how cool would it be if you'd have some FR clothing? Because I guarantee you, nobody in your office is, has FR clothing. Um, it takes a, a, you know, a couple of seconds. James will give you the link in the show notes, but go fill it out. Uh, we pull one lucky person a week and you get this really cool piece of clothing um, that nobody else could have. So congratulations, John, and if you're listening to this, you know our audience, Go fill out the form, register to win this and you may win as well.
0: Yeah, go fill out the form and we and even though we know John well and we have a long history with him, we have no sway over who actually wins. It's just very uh, I'm just very excited for him, coincidental. so yeah go yeah
1: ahead. it shows it shows you audience that so James and I had nothing to do with it It shows you that you have a very high chance of winning. Um, John's won twice uh, because he's entered so go enter and there's a very good chance you'll you'll pick some really cool up.
0: Yep, so bulwark.com forward slash podcast, dot com forward slash podcast. Let's move on to the events because we've got a few to cover. We've got Urtech, the Unconventional Resources Technology whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is conference. Conference, right? Um, and This has been going on for a few years, and I remember when it first first started, but it is next week, the first through the third at the Henry B. Gonzalez Convention Center in San Antonio. Yeah, so you know what I love about
1: this? There's This is a collaboration between a bunch of groups, so um, um, SPE, AAPG, SEG, um, to put together a whole conference around unconventionals. Um, this is a great a conference. I've been there a couple of times. I'm not going to make it this year. It's the first through third in uh, San Antonio, Texas, which San Antonio is a beautiful place to go. But if you touch unconventionals in any way, this is an awesome place you really to you go. really need to be there. Honestly. Yeah. And one of the biggest things, not only the knowledge, right? So if you learn want to learn how to cut costs or how to do uh, more with less, and you want to hear it from people who have actually done it. So not theory, not academia, but people from the industry talking about how they really do it, this is the place to go. And then it's all your peers, right? It's not a bunch of salespeople trying to sell you junk. It's all the people that work in the unconventional. So, you know, go take a couple of minutes, check out the, a link, and if you're into this, go to this, this conference.
0: Yeah, definitely go there. And another one that we're really excited about because it, it's one that, Everybody gets excited about because deals happen on the floor. We got Summer Nape coming up at the George R. Brown August tenth through the eleventh. Yeah, it's um. You've heard us talk about this
1: before. Nape is awesome. One of the things I love about Nape is the people that go there are going there to either buy or sell something. So the 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 culture at NAEP is different than any other conference. People are happy, they're excited, they're pumped up. Uh, James and I, I think, are on the schedule to do a live podcast. Actually, I know we're on the schedule whether we can pull it off, or not, I don't know, but we're on the schedule to do a live podcast from the show. Um, I'm doing some interviews in the next couple of weeks from some of the main players out there. Um, if you're in the upstream industry, go to this. Even if you're offshore, go to this because you'll learn what's going on on land, which will just enhance um, you know your background and your knowledge. So um, great show. It doesn't cost much to go. Um, we have a great time there. James and I both be there, which by the way, if you're going, Hit
0: us up on Twitter and let us know. We'd love to
1: connect with you there live.
0: Yeah, we'd love to connect with you. And and just to follow up on what you said about the culture, I mean, these guys here, if you're not a direct competitor of of theirs, they either want to do business with you or introduce you to someone who wants to do business with you. I mean, it's it's just amazing. Yeah. You and I walk away from NAEP every time with a handful of business
1: cards from people that want to get to know what we're doing. Yeah. Um, Remember the guy we met that was from New York that said, hey, I see this debt equity market um, happening. Uh, and yeah uh,
0: yeah yeah i remember yeah
1: yeah how cool is that that we met somebody that we didn't know that verified something you and i had been talking about and then he wanted to get to know us better and actually james the guy was a little bit older than i so james actually took his his iphone and helped him figure out how to listen to the podcast so if you don't know how
0: to listen to our podcast on your iphone <laughs> come to nate come to nate tweet me ping me or james and we'll show you how to do it absolutely and then tip row the texas independent producers and royalty owners association if nobody's heard of tip row, um, they have their summer conference coming up August 17th through 18th, also in San Antonio at the Hyatt Hill Country Resort, and someone you know, Mark, is speaking there. Yeah, so James is speaking there.
1: Uh, Tip TIPRO is a great organization. Their summer conference is is, is a historic tradition uh, here uh, in the oil and gas patch, and uh, if you want to hear James talk, this is the place to go. Um, do we want to talk about what you're going to be speaking about or not yet? Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. Yeah. So Go ahead. Yeah. So what we're going to be talking about is I'm going to take the industry to task <laughs> essentially um, on strategies for countering anti-oil and gas and natural gas agendas and how the industry needs to get in front of this problem of misinformation by getting the truth and getting facts out there in the way that they're consumed today as in, also, in digital, as in and, digital.
1: And also in the same way that the anti-oil and gas unit, uh, Organizations are using social so so well, so it's time, fellas uh, and, and ladies. It's um, you know this is something I've been passionate about for a long time. This is something that James is very good as far as the execution. Um, we have a lot of people out there that are misinformed, that don't understand, that don't know the truth, and we need to get the truth out there. We're not talking politics, you know. We're not talking about opinion; about the truth. And James is actually going to present to Tipro to all the uh, the oil and gas companies that are members of Tipro on how to do this effectively. So even if you work for a small company. Do me a favor. You need to know how to counter this anti-oil and gas because it's it's our it's our destiny to make sure that this country and this world has the prosperity from oil and gas. So take a few minutes, go check out the Tippro website. James will give you a link there. If you can, go to the go to the event, sign up, and go listen to James talk so you can bring that knowledge back to your company so you can help all of us make this a better place.
0: Yeah, definitely. And we have a we have a question for that on next week's QA show that kind of ties into this. But yeah, so we're gonna be. Really digging in on on how the industry needs to counter it. I'm, it's funny because I I just finally finally started watching Mad Men, on Netflix. And back in the day, they that was that was how results were driven during their during their time in the early '60s was billboards and magazine ads. And I hate to break it to you guys, we're not in 1962 anymore and it's time to change the way that we message. So we're going to be talking about that in depth. All right, moving on. Let's Wait, James, let me ahead. back you up just a yeah. bit.
1: If, if you're listening and you're a TIPRO member, I don't know if you know their, your mission statement. Basically, your mission statement is TIPRO exists to preserve the ability to explore and produce oil and natural gas and promote the general welfare of its members. So the mission of TIPRO coincides with exactly what James is doing so you can help continue to promote the oil and gas industry. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate that.
0: All right, let's talk about the first Friday Q&A real quick. Yeah, so if you want to know something about uh, uh, One week away.
1: Yeah, it's one week away. Um, submit a question. Um, you know, there's a couple of ways you can do it. The preferential way, which is easiest for you, is take your smartphone, plug in your earbuds, um, hit audio record, uh, record a question, and then text or email it to James. Um, but you know, this is one of our most popular episodes every month. Anything you want to know, reach out to us ask us and if we can answer we will and if we use your name if we use your question on the show we'll give you a big shout out
0: yeah definitely a big shout out and if you don't want to submit um verbally or or, or via uh if you just want to be able to uh, type in your question go to triberocket.com forward slash keyway there's a form right there for you to fill out mark i am so excited we
1: did it we did it
0: what did we do a <laughs> hundred reviews 100. oh that's awesome we hit it just as of I, I actually, yesterday morning, I was like, ooh, we're at 99, and, and sure enough, we hit it 100. And so thank you. We had a banner a week. We had five reviews, and so let me, let me get through these real quick because we're coming up against our time. So number one, uh, from Eagleford underscore RE, five stars, great show. Gents, great show. Keep it up. Very informative perspectives and news from upstream, midstream, and downstream, even M&A. Even M&A, Mark. Thank you. Wow. Thank you for five stars um also five-star review from great app great tech support interesting <laughs> um so uh, the title here excellent analysis and insights great work guys look forward to listening to each show as i make dinner that's awesome so we found out one way how, how else are people listening let us know
1: <laughs> yeah let us know and th- you know the great tech support thank you but i'm not quite sure why yeah <laughs> I, think,
0: I, I think i think maybe um uh, maybe made that for itunes i'm not sure <laughs> but all right and then we've got I really love the first few here because they're just one sentence, and that just shows you how easy it is. All you have to do is open up the iTunes store and just type in a sentence and so this uh, great show, five stars from uh, Waiter j w, really enjoy the show, and then from Shara, who actually um, really, really, really fascinating guy he's an investor he's been doing. Uh, real estate investing out in california for a while and i only know this because he he told me that he was going to be doing a review when we had a conversation on the phone the other day but really interesting that real estate investors from california all of a sudden stumbled across oil and gas lease (laughs) you know oil and gas lease uh terms and they're going you know we could probably make a little more money (laughs) than we do investing in traditional real estate if we go after this stuff so um so shara says i'm an investor New to investing in oil and gas, James and Mark give great insight on how the industry functions. They give great information on what to pay attention to, updates on current events and predictions on where this industry is headed. Thank you. Thank you, Shara. Thank you. And then lastly, we've got um, eWork, web, and new media. So informative. Five stars. This one just came in yesterday. This is our 100th review. Thank you. We are a digital media agency that works with oil and gas suppliers because we don't work in the industry on a day-to-day basis. It's hard to keep up with everything that's happening. A friend of mine told me about your podcast. It's been super informative and at least makes me feel like I have an idea of the changes that are happening in the industry. There's so much going on all the time. Now I listen to every episode and recommend your podcast to all of our clients. Awesome. Thanks for keeping us informed and and for keeping it interesting and sometimes amusing. Well, I, I definitely tried it sometimes amusing. <laughs> yeah. And you know what, James? I think it's cool that we have a digital media
1: agency reaching out to us saying thanks for the help. So, you know, we're, we're getting there.
0: Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. Reach out, to, reach out to me specifically. I'd love to know more about this digital media agency because, um, you know, I happen to sort of own one. <laughs> so I'd love well, to yeah. network more with those guys. Yeah, and you probably can
1: help them keep them from making some big mistakes.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right. Those are all of our reviews. You have anything else before I go to the big finish? Nope. All right, good stuff. So if you want to get see the reviews, if you want to read any of the stories, get any of the links, leave your questions, leave your comments, you can go to triberocket.com forward slash TW seventy-five, episode seventy-five. So triberocket.com forward slash TW seventy-five. That that is where you can get all the links to all the stories. And then if you want to share the show. You can do that by going to TribeRocket.com forward slash share L I share it straight to LinkedIn forward slash share TW for Facebook and forward slash, I'm sorry for Twitter. And then forward slash share FB for Facebook. Now that I butchered that, are you ready to go Mark? Yeah. So folks do great work, pay it forward. And we will see you next time. Go find some grease guys.
1: So I actually had somebody reach out to me talking about the shout-outs we give on the first Friday Q&A. Right. And, and they said it was actually works better for them than Tinder.
0: <laughs> what? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. We, we've been compared to Tinder? I'm just saying. I didn't ask any questions because
1: it was so weird. But it was it was, it was actually a, a, a guy. And he goes, hey, thanks for the shout-out of the first Friday Q&A. It, it worked better for me than Tinder.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. We're happy to be of service, sir. We're happy to be of service. Maybe another business line for us somehow? (laughs) We need to launch an app. (laughs) Oh, that's perfect.